Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Python Community News, the show where we talk about all the non-PIP installable news happening around the Python community. I am one of your hosts, Jay Miller, and I'm John Bonifato. We're still trying to figure out the intro, and we will get there. But John, how are you doing this week? I'm doing pretty well. How about you, Jay? Pretty good. Pretty good. We've got uh, we've got equal amounts of news, but I think there's a lot of a lot of thoughts that we want to share this week uh, regarding kind of just Twitter spaces, modern conferences, and uh, kind of a lot of feed, like follow up to what we talked about last week and how virtual conferences are, uh, can become a more valuable proposition. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, what's, what's first on the docket here? I think we have uh, on that virtual conference note, we have a, a, an interesting couple of things to share about uh, one conference in particular? Yeah, so first up, we have DjangoCon, uh, you know, one of my favorite local conferences, it being literally down the road from you. I'm so happy about this. Uh, DjangoCon actually announced that they are going to be doing weekly Twitter spaces with virtual-only tickets. Uh, and they also announced their, or sorry, that's a virtual-only tickets. They're doing weekly Twitter spaces up until the conference starts. Um, but... In the first Twitter space, they announced a few things. John, let's cover the first one about their uh, their mask and COVID policy. Uh, yeah, so this is something that I'm personally uh, super happy to see. Uh, so DjangoCon has an official COVID policy uh, on their website uh, at uh, 2022.djangocon.us slash COVID. And this includes uh, two things that are uh, particularly notable, uh, which are uh, vaccine verification and a mask mandate. Um, so, you know, if, if you want to see all the details, uh, go, go to that URL, um, check out the, check out the page, but, um, you know, a big thing that I've, uh, I, I've been seeing a lot of is right. Events, uh, go back without these policies in place. And then, uh, a week later you see, uh, you know, hashtag conference COVID, right. And, um, personally, I think, uh, Django cons, uh, uh, taking you know more uh, more precautions here than I've seen a lot of other events take, uh, and, and and I'm uh, I'm really interested to see you know how this how this goes for uh, for that that conference and uh, hopefully you know how it influences other conferences to continue to uh, kind of raise the bar on that front. Yeah, that it is interesting because the. Like 2022, or I guess the 2022 like conference season has been my busiest conference season. Uh, for those that don't know, my job is to to interact with the community, and a part of that is attending some of these events. And I've seen many different ways that people have handled uh, COVID. Uh, in this case, what Django is doing is very similar to what PyCon announced as well with using the Share My Health app. So people have to share their vaccination status prior to entering the conference. Masks will be available on site. Uh, of course, you're always encouraged to bring your own as long as they're KN95 approved or like equivalent. And these are and there's also kind of a, a good enforcement policy. And I think that's kind of been the big question that, you know, John, you and I have had just in conversation of like a COVID policy is only as good as it's enforced. And I think we've, at least I've been to conferences where there was one and if you would never know, um, I think knowing some of the organizers and being able to talk with some of the organizers, I'm, I'm excited to know that like they're taking a lot of things into mind, including safety um, and the health and safety of, of, you know, the attendees that are there. And so, uh, in, in in addition to that, um, there are also uh, so, so for for you know context here. This is Jenkocon's uh, first conference back in person, right? Since twenty nineteen, correct? Yeah, and they actually took a year off uh, in twenty twenty, I believe, uh, just to kind of get a feel of what virtual conferences would look like. So, I think they've they've spent a lot of time studying and and kind of have a good idea of what this what they want to accomplish here. And so, so last year they had, uh, a, an online only conference, mm -hmm. um, ha which was fantastic. I attended it. Um, uh, there, there were, 
a ton of great talks, um, a, a lot of activity uh, in, in their community spaces uh, through, through chat and whatnot. Um, and uh, so the other aspect of right, this, this world of you know, how conferences are continuing to operate uh, is they have virtual talks or uh, uh, pre-recorded talks, I guess. Yeah, vir virtual only. Like that's that's the thing that got me. Um, and actually, uh, when I heard about this, I, I reached out to uh, one of the organizers uh, from Jeff Triplett, who's a DEFNA founder and former president of the Django Events Foundation of North America. And you know, he says it best. He's like, the online only talks are just extra content to fill the gaps. You know, the gaps that you would normally fill with the hallway track. And I get that. I think that that's one of the things that uh, conferences that are virtual only have to balance. Uh, usually when you have an in-person conference, for those that haven't been to one before, uh, an in-person in conference, you have to space out the time between talks if it's a multi-track event because you have people going from one place to another. And in this case, you have... The like a virtual talk, you don't have that. So it's like, oh, 15 minutes of nothing in between a talk. Y yeah, that's kind of that's kind of rough. That's rough for for people to engage in. And especially when you're you're at home, maybe the conference is on in the background or maybe like you're doing that and you're trying to do something else. And you're like, oh, well, I'll, I'll get up real quick and go do this other thing. And then all of a sudden you've kind of forgotten that there's a conference happening. Yeah, I think that's uh, a thing that is has always been challenging is uh, right scheduling time between talks. Um, you know, it, when when you're going to right, in in person events in smaller spaces for, uh, you know, I, it, I I've run events in um, spaces where right the the doors to the conference uh, you know speaker rooms are uh, basically right next to each other. Uh, but I've also attended events where uh, you have to walk a half mile right through the conference center in order to to actually get to your next talk. So finding the right balance there um, is always pretty difficult. And I think this is going to be a really interesting, um, you know, experiment as far as uh, letting letting people fill that time, uh, especially when you've got. Um, uh, when you've got attendees, right, uh, you know, in person who are, are filling that time with, you know, hanging out in the hallway or, or, or actually traveling between two talks um, and, you know, other folks who are maybe just uh, still right at the desk on their couch, wherever it may be. Yeah. And I, I think it also, I think the actual, well, one of the online talks falls like kind of in that lunch break. So obviously, you know, when you're, on site somewhere and you're grabbing lunch, if there's food provided, you know, you're eating food, you got to, you know, do all those things. If you're sitting at home, maybe you grab a sandwich, maybe you, you know, Postmates something or order out and then, you know, you're eating it. So I, I feel like the ability to just kind of eat your food and be done. Uh, yeah, there is a, a looming kind of pause there of like, well, I'm done eating and there's still like 45 minutes before the next talk. Uh, yeah, that, yeah, that's not a good feeling, I guess, to have. So having a talk kind of fill that space makes a lot of sense. And, you know, we, we talked about this a little bit yes, uh, last week about kind of the idea of like the if the conference, if you're there for just the talks, then like that's an interesting, you know, concept for you, but also part of being there in person is is more than that. I love that DjangoCon is trying to create more content. And I think this is only one of the things they're doing. They haven't announced everything yet. So there's going to be some interactive stuff for online attendees as well. They're really putting forth the effort to make the event worthwhile, whether you're in person or you're watching virtually. Yeah. And uh, I, I think you mentioned this already, but they're going to be uh, you know, talking more about uh, about what to expect at DjangoCon, uh, you know, on Twitter, and I'm sure all of this will end up on their on their website at DjangoCon.us as well. Uh, what do we have next on uh, on the list here this week? Uh, really quick, because I'm I'm having some intermittent um, 
<laughs> connection issues that just popped up. Uh, do me a favor while we're doing that. This Twitter space idea is is very interesting to me. The idea of like let's let's interact with the community live and like do it on a weekly basis and kind of get a feel for what's happening. Uh, you've organized conferences before. Is this something that you see conferences doing? Is this a thing that conferences tend to not do for any particular reason? Or like what, like this seems new to me. Is, th is this a new thing? The, uh, so the, the Twitter space as a way to uh, kind of gather feedback for, from your audience. Is that, is that the yeah. question? Or at least some type of online forum to get people's thoughts about an upcoming event. Yeah, um, you know, it's it's a good question. I think it's it's both new and not. Um, right, Twitter Spaces itself is uh, you know relatively new. Um, right, I haven't I haven't used uh, t t Twitter Spaces when running uh, any any in person events because they didn't exist uh, when when I ran my last in person event, uh, but. Um, a lot of events that, uh, and, and, you know, here I'm going to speak specifically about, um, more local events, uh, are, are going to be interacting with their community kind of throughout the whole planning process as well. Right. So, um, if, if you're running a tech conference, you, uh, may have kind of grown that out of, uh, an existing meetup. Uh, or or some other community, and um, you know the 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 conference itself is getting kind of built throughout the year as you are already right, interacting with with your existing community. So you're you're talking with uh, you know your your meetup uh, attendees and speakers as uh, you know as you're you're hosting your normal events, uh, and and some of that happens kind of. Uh, in real time, that that feedback. Um, I think uh, it's it, it probably has been more difficult in in terms of uh, right running uh, events at a at a larger geographic scale for um, gathering that that sort of pre conference real time feedback. Um, but uh, I've I've certainly seen uh, other events uh, run run things like surveys um, to 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 kind of gather the community's thoughts um both after the event like how'd it go uh you know what do you want to see next year uh that that is a super super common question in a in a conference survey uh but also um you know hey we're doing this we're doing this thing and we want your input uh in in order to make it the best it can be um and uh but but that said, this is uh, you know the Twitter space thing. I think is is uh, really interesting. I'm I'm excited to see uh, kind of how those evolve over time because it is more real time than than any of those other methods that that I that I have seen in the past. Yeah, and it also gives people the ability to like kind of speak up. Whereas like you know a lot of I mean it, it feels more like a town hall type discussion other than a I mean, even even I've seen like other podcasts do live streams with like PSF organizers and reach out to them. And, you know, even we're doing things like this with our own show. But like this is great because if people want to give feedback, they can they can type it, but they can't necessarily, you know, just jump in and start talking or say, hey, I have a question. Or if the question is like, you know, void of context, they can't provide that context. So I think doing a Twitter space makes it very very appealing for people to come in especially when you're doing things like announcing a covid policy and maybe you have you know clarifying questions or things like that people could actually join and you know take the virtual mic for a second and speak yeah. but you uh, the the clarifying questions are a big part of it uh, yeah too, right because I can sit down and, and, and write a document about a policy that's going to, to happen at an event. Um, and no matter how much time I put into it, I'll miss something. I'll miss two things uh, that someone might, might pick up on really quickly. And uh, for a lot of uh, other, um, for, for, for a lot of events that I've been involved in, right, uh, these are all 
kind of built out in the open, right? So um, the website uh, and, and other tooling around uh, the the conferences, uh, you know, community run conferences are often open source and uh, and available for others to contribute and actively encourage that. So uh, even even when you're um, doing things in a, in a more asynchronous way, uh, people do have an opportunity to say, well, you know, I noticed that something's missing here, so I'll file an issue or or I'll just suggest an edit to the page. Um, but, you know, all that said, if you do have a question about a conference, right, um, ask the organizers, right? They're, uh, uh, you know, a, a, a lot of the time they, they don't hear about things until like way after the fact. And uh, I've, I've, you know, it's, I would more, I'd be more happy to uh, say, I don't know the answer to that, but, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get that, that policy nailed down and, and get that, you know, posted publicly uh, than, than I would to say, well, um, you know, someone didn't, didn't come to an event because we, you know, we didn't answer a question that, uh, that was an oversight. Right. Yeah. And we also have someone in the chat that is a uh, DjangoCon organizer, and and they mentioned, you know, trying to make the Twitter space as interactive as possible. The hope is to give folks, you know, you know, to have people ask questions so that they can answer them, and especially the questions that people didn't think about in like that planning stage. So it's like, oh yeah, we're going to tell you everything that we thought about, but there will probably be things that we didn't think about. So like, if you ask them, we can go that's a good question or that's a good point. Uh, speaking of good questions and good points, let's jump on to the next topic. But while we're loading that up, just a reminder that you can take this on the road with you. We actually have this as a podcast uh, and you can find it wherever podcast players or, you know, whatever podcast player you use. Uh, we're in Apple, Google, Spotify, all the parties that use those libraries as well just check out python community news where podcasts can be found but uh you mentioned surveys let's talk about uh the psf they are asking people to provide feedback on python packaging uh and this is this is interesting because uh, i i did this survey uh and you know john do, do you do much with uh pypa uh, I am not not involved in PyPA, no. Um, but uh, you know, a, as a Python programmer, I use tools that they maintain, uh, yeah. and uh, you know, uh, I, I'm super impressed by you know the the you know how that how that space has evolved over the years. Um, and uh, I don't I don't have a ton to say about the survey other than go go do the survey. Um, but but Jay, uh, since uh, since you you went through it, I, I would love to hear your thoughts. So, I I'm torn a little bit because the so for those that don't know, like when we talk about PyPA, we're talking about all the tools that uh, revolve around taking Python code and making it available to other developers. Uh, so this is things like PIP. Uh, I believe it's also includes things around like I know poetry isn't like directly affiliated, but like. They, they're probably involved in some ways, uh, especially with like pyproject.toml files and things like that. Uh, and also things like pipenv, uh, virtual environments, and all of these different things. The way that you manage your environment within the Python ecosystem, these are all the things that uh, the PSF were asking about. And to be honest, a part of me was a little confused at times because I was like, well, wait a minute, am I are they asking me this from the perspective of someone who has, you know, repos on PyPA, like on like, you know, PIP, you know, Python package index or like PyPy, I guess, or PyPI, or are they talking about someone that uses PyPI or, you know, PIP install to, to grab things like, how am I taking this survey? And I felt like the answer kind of was just, yes. Um, that being said, I, I'm interested in why they're doing this because ultimately one of the things that they mentioned at the end was we want to share some of this information and create a vision for Python packaging. And uh, I mean, what, like, what kind of vision do you need? Or, like, what am I missing in this, John? 
I mean, I think it relates a lot to some of the things we talked about last week. Um, in particular, uh, one that uh, Python is right one of, if not the most popular programming languages in the world. Um, and two, um, PyPI, so this is the Python package index, which is uh, the the site you interact with when you run pip install, right? Um, by default, uh, you know they, they they maintain PyPI and they introduce changes like um, you know support for two factor authentication and then um, a, a two factor authentication requirement for uh, certain right types uh, types of packages, right? Uh, in 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 last week's call, we talked about uh, critical packages requiring two FA. And so these were, you know, the top some percent of, of packages by, uh, I think it was by download. Um, yeah. And right, the idea here is these are the biggest uh, areas of, of concern when you're talking about uh, if a package were to become compromised, uh, you know, here's uh, how many people it would affect. Yeah. The overall uh, footprint is, is massive. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and, and so... Um, you know, uh, IPA is, uh, I think, uh, largely a group of volunteers, um, and uh, that that you know build build these things out and and uh, serve the the whole Python community. Whether you know if if you've ever uh, installed any Python package, right? You've uh, you you you've used a tool. Um, you've used more than one tool maintained by IPA. Uh, and right, this is a this is a really good opportunity to uh, kind of provide your feedback to to help let the people who maintain it uh, maintain all of those tools. Um, help let them know, you know, what what you want to see out of the tools and and what your actual like uh, you know problems in, involved in uh, in in packaging and and installing uh, Python applications are. Yeah, and. When I think about like the things that could could be done to improve these experiences, I mean, this is this is ultimately what they're asking for. Is like, hey, are things good? Are things better? Should things be improved? Usually, you don't ask these questions if you don't think that there's something that you could be doing. And when I think about what the what the Python Software Foundation has done in the last few years with bringing in a developer in residence with Lukash, um, with adding more and more. Uh, not just work groups, but like committees that focus on bringing, and like, that's, that's really what I feel like PyPA is. It's like a committee of developers, of volunteers, like you said. I think with some of the security things happening, I think what it has shown is that, and also with seeing some of the improvements that are going to be coming out in Python 3.11 with just performance and efficiency, um, I believe that there is kind of a, it worked with Python. Maybe it could also work with PyPI. Like we, if, if we have a dedicated focus, if we have like funding going into having people dedicated to making this their full-time responsibility, we can address a lot of the issues that we might see internally that people don't see. And we might be trying to create kind of a, here's the list of things that we want to address first as sourced by the community. Yeah. And at the end of the day, uh, you know, it, it isn't free to, uh, to, to build out all of this infrastructure and, and these tools, right. Um, uh, it, it, it costs people's time, uh, which is sometimes donated. Um, but, uh, it, you know, it, it also costs, uh, costs money to, uh, you know, to to one kind of reserve that time, um, because you know n not not everyone can uh can can donate their time all the time for uh for open source work like this, uh, but it also costs money uh on on the front of things like infrastructure for hosting, right? And so um you know PyPI uh has uh, has a bunch of sponsors. Um, and you can, uh, there, there's a page that I'm, I'm sure we can, we can pull up somewhere, um, uh, that, that lists them out, but, um, you know, w with, without those kinds of sponsorships, um, 
and and in kind sponsorships. Uh, I, I think people would be pretty shocked at the uh, the sticker price of uh, of just the right the the hosting costs, not even including all of the um, you know all, all of the the people behind it um, and and what their time is worth. Uh, and so, uh, you know, in, in addition to going in uh, and and taking taking the survey, uh, you know, if you're if you're in a position to, um, you know, consider uh, getting your companies to to sponsor these things, if you depend on them, uh, because, uh, right, uh, I I use uh, PIP uh, and and PyPI a bunch of times every single day. Right, and, and I think most people who uh, who work with Python would say the same. We we use Pip to bring this content to you. Like, there's, I've had so much fun just working on like in the background of getting like automations and stuff built, and like developing systems around getting the website up and and like the newsletter and all that stuff. Um, I I do feel like one of the things that we can look at with this as well, and I'll, I'll throw it up on the screen is the the actual sorry wrong there we go the there was a pep that was kind of presented and and this was a few years ago this was about three years ago that they kind of established this if you're interested in wondering what the what PyPA does and what their overall responsibilities are this is a really great breakdown of those things and I mean I can't read them all now um, but if you like reading all of this kind of stuff and us talking about it is probably not the thing that you can handle and you'd rather just read it instead, you can actually read our newsletter that comes out every Monday. And uh, as you can see, we give you all of the topics with some with some thoughts and opinions and uh, even upcoming CFPs and uh, you know, for the upcoming months, as well as, you know, some links to the video and the episode. Um, that said, uh, I, I talked about all the things that we install with, uh, you know, PIP and the project that we're doing. Uh, we actually have some contributors to our project, and I don't think that we're the only community or the only project looking for contributors. In fact, I this popped up on Reddit earlier. We'll uh, we'll make this a little bit bigger for people to read. Uh, the the package Starlight reached out on Reddit to look for contributors and maintainers. Uh, and you know, obviously, this is a thing. I I don't see this very often. Uh, so I wanted to kind of bring attention to it and, and again, kind of ask that same question that we asked with the Twitter spaces of like, is this a thing that's going to become like the new normal of like, hey, I'm working on this project. I'm looking for contributors. R slash Python is the place to go for that. Um, or is this something that's unique? And then also, I wanted to highlight this because of a statement that they made Um where they say it's a core pillar of Starlight to have multiple maintainers and be open, inviting, and accessible for contributions as we can be. Um, John, for, let's let's ask the first question of: Is this the way to get people to contribute to your project? Uh, that that is a quite a loaded question. Um, there's no Z way to get people to contribute to your project. Um, it's a way to get people to your, to contribute to your project. But, uh, you know, I think a big part of it is meeting those people where they are. Right. Uh, and, uh, if, you know, the people who use Starlight are, are active on Reddit and, and there's a, uh, you know, a, a rich community around Starlight happening, uh, you know, in our Python, um, or, or other, uh, subreddits that are related to it, um, you know that's probably the best place to look for it. Uh, but I do tend to also see this uh, happen um, pretty regularly on um, like a GitHub issues page. If if mm. a project's hosted on GitHub, right? You'll you'll find uh, an an issue uh, that's like a pinned issue that says you know looking for maintainers, and then uh, you know details about what that involves and and an application process. Um, sometimes I'll see people post it in a uh, right on, on a readme. Um, uh, but you know, on, on, on top of that, uh, you'll, you'll find it, uh, 
sort of uh, on on a on a one to one scale, right? People will say, "Hey, you know, I I know you, and right, you you've contributed to this project before. Uh, you know, can can you can you dedicate more time? Can you help out become a maintainer?" Let's let's talk a little bit about, I guess, maintaining anything. I mean, the, you're maintaining anything in the Python space. Um, you obviously have experience in, I would say, maintaining a conference. You know, you've been helping to run uh, PyGotham for several years. And then uh, we also, like I said, we maintain a project and things like that. What are what are some of the challenges that maintainers focus, you know, that they have to deal with when it comes to, and like, that would lead them to doing this, something like this? Uh, do you mean why, why ask or why put up a, a call for maintainers? Is that it? <sighs> yes kind of yes and like i i understand like there's always this concept of like if i have more people looking at this it can probably be better than what it is but i i also look at this from the perspective of like one starlight is an api framework it's kind of in the same lane as like fast api it uses starlet and pydantic which i believe fast api also uses um this is this seems like I'm trying to think of the way to say this without saying like Starlight's in trouble because I don't think they are. Um, but I, I feel like the messaging paints a picture. And when you go on Reddit and you say, hey, I have a project, it's fairly good, it's production ready, and I'm looking for maintainers. I don't know if that's a, hey, I'm bored with this project, so I want more people to kind of take ownership of it. Or if it's, you know, I'm just trying to one promote my product as well. So if people are maintaining it, they're they're probably using it as well. I know, like that's, hey, guess what? We're using tools that I maintain because, I mean, I maintain them. Like that's that's just the thing. So like it it makes sense to me, but like I also, I feel like there should be a place where people looking for maintainers go, and I don't know if Reddit is that place. I don't know if there's a place that the PSF has available to them. I don't know if there's a, if, I mean, their GitHub might even have something in general, but like putting it on Reddit feels weird for some reason to me, at least. Uh, yeah. So I think that uh, I, I want to mention one um, resource uh, or one, one, one group that is relevant to a certain type of, uh, needing maintainers, uh, and that is a uh, GitHub organization called Jazzband. Mm-hmm. Um, so GitHub.com slash Jazzband. Um, you know, we we uh, when when maintaining the site for for the newsletter and uh, and and for this call, um, right? We use a couple of projects that uh, that that are maintained by Jazzband, um, and this is um, you know, where some projects have have gone when. Right, uh, the original maintainers um, right, either no longer have time or 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 interest to continue maintaining something, um, but don't want to see it just kind of flounder, um, right? And so uh, there there are uh, you know a, a, a whole bunch of projects listed under here. Um, you know, one that uh, I've uh, I use quite a bit is uh, Pip Tools, um, but if you if you look through this list, yeah, there's a there's a ton of them. Uh, and, uh, I think that, you know, one, if you're right, if your choices are, um, you know, shut a project down or reach out to jazz band, um, you know, or, or, or another group like it, um, you know, the, the option that keeps the project, uh, you know, maintained is, is the better one, uh, in, in most cases, uh, but. There are also a ton of other reasons why um, someone might not want to uh, be right, a sole maintainer of a of, of a project, right? Uh, so, um, you know, it, as projects grow, um, as as conferences grow too, right? They they adopt more processes. Um, the 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 maintenance burden becomes uh, bigger and just needs more. Uh, more work put into it, um, and so even if nothing else is changing, but 
you have 10 times as many users of your project as you did previously. Um, keeping up with those, uh, you know, those, those pull requests and issues uh, might, might become, uh, you know, more work than you, you have the time or energy for. Um, it, it also might just be uh, this thing is right bigger than uh, than I realized. Right, the the PyPI uh, team emailed me and said I I have to enable two two factor authentication on my account because it's a critical project. And uh oh, what do I do? It's a critical project. Uh, and and so you've got uh, you've got a, a lot of different reasons why someone might. Um, some someone might look to bring in uh, new maintainers, uh, even if they're not looking to step away or or put in any any less time. Because um, bringing on a new maintainer is also uh, you know time consuming at the beginning in, in itself. Uh, but uh, you know what, what about uh, what about your projects? Right, we're using um, we're using Render Engine right, to, mm-hmm. to build out uh, PythonCommunityNews.com. Right. And, uh, uh, you know, right, right now, uh, I, I, I think you're the only maintainer of that. Is that correct? Yeah. So even putting render engine out on PyPI was, it was kind of a thing that ha- like I had to do it for work basically. Um, it, I, I didn't picture myself maintaining a project and I actually have, two or three on on PyPI. Mo- most of them do not get much. I think I think Render Engine probably gets the most downloads, which is like, I think like 100 a week, and I'm sure like 90 of those are me, uh, you know, doing something somewhere. Um, but the, you know, in that moment, there have definitely been lulls in development, um, mostly because, you know, as a maintainer, you know, as as a maintainer of a project that I made because I wanted it to exist in the world, which is why I think a lot of people make the packages that they do. You get to a point like not where it feels feature complete, but you feel like it's solving the problem that you have, and the only way that it can solve new problems is to have people bring those to it to your attention. But you know. If we're being honest, like you and I had these conversations during the week, which, by the way, if you want to to participate in some of these conversations and how we're actually making Python community news happen on the tech side, uh, there is the repo there. You can easily join github.com slash KJY Miller slash Python community news uh, with dashes. Uh, even in that moment, you know, you're you're asking about like post CSS processors and, and I'm going to talk about that because you know, render engine is a web app or a web, uh, static site generator. And in my mind, it was like, this was just never a thing that I thought of. It was just, I mean, again, I think as Kojo mentioned in the chat of like, sometimes bringing more people in will help ask the questions that you didn't think to solve for. Uh, so I think for me, like, I don't know, I'm kind of torn. I don't necessarily want Render Engine to be much bigger because I don't know if I have the bandwidth to support it. Uh, so maybe that's that's kind of a, a maybe this is what's happening with Starlight is is you know maybe they have some attention and they're like like you said uh oh maybe I need to to provide some support and also I I remember clearly I was working on Render Engine when my daughter was born. And I mean, at that point, everything kind of stops, like podcasting stops, videos stop, like everything just kind of comes to a halt while you're adjusting your life. So while I, well, like I said, I don't think that, you know, Starlight doing this and posting it on Reddit seems, does. it's not like a, you know, oh, there must be bad news over at Starlight. I don't think that that's the case. Um, to me, I just, I've never maintained a project where, Asking someone to help with that project was a thing that I thought of. Not that I don't want the help, just it it's never been that big of, of enough priority for anyone in the Python space or for me to want to do more. And and I think I see that here with like this project. You know, we're working on this project together. We're supplying code and we're doing things and, and we're, you know, playing to each other's strengths and each other's knowledge. And 
I see the benefit of that. And and that kind of makes me want to go back to what they mentioned in the post, which was like their core pillar of having multiple maintainers and being open, inviting and accessible. Um, accessibility is one of those things that is always hard when you're talking code. Cause I think that there's, there's like code, like physical accessibility, like, you know, are there things that are put in place that someone who has physical disabilities that, you know, they would still be able to participate, but there are also like being inviting and like understandable for people of all experience levels. And I think I haven't seen many, I've seen projects like claim to be very accessible in those spaces, but I've seen very few actually in my opinion, take that on with like that being a, a, a core philosophy. I see you're, you're thinking now. <laughs> like, I, I, I am thinking. Um, <laughs> it's, you know, it's, it's one that requires someone to step back and look at their project. Mm-hmm kind of as as an outsider um, and, and and to prioritize those things and and I think that um, you know until you do that uh, a, a lot of projects end up being just uh, like, like you said earlier like I need this thing I'm gonna build it and I'm gonna throw it up on PyPI so that I can install it where I need to yeah uh, and right um, you know it it has a it has a, a you know a, a GitHub page, and there's there's one maybe two contributors mm-hmm. ever, right? And um, you know in 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 some of those cases, uh, I I've made little contributions here and there, and and uh, people have been you know surprised that someone else is even using it, um, and 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 in others uh, they they've said, right? Well. Uh, you know, I'm not interested in this being a, you know, a project for other people and not accepting contributions. And so mm-hmm. it's it's really a, a philosophy of, right, what you're what you're looking to cultivate there, uh, and uh, building out, right, that that sort of uh, in in intentional uh, structure to to. Uh, you know, welcome new people to to a project. I think is going to, uh, you know, speak to the long term health of that thing. Uh, and um, you know, uh, I, I can speak more on the on the events side of things here than I can on the uh, on the you know the the code side. But um, you know, people people are going to become. Uh, they're going to gather around uh, spaces that that they're that they're welcomed uh, much more quickly than than spaces where they're not, and and that's going to apply to right uh, a, a GitHub issue tracker uh, as much as it is uh, uh, to right uh, a conference or a meetup, etc. And and I think we have a couple of comments in the chat here that are yeah interesting relevant. There's one here. Uh, from Kojo, again, it says, it feels like if people are asking for new maintainers, they they either want help or they're willing to help people become contributors, and the second is less common. And um, yes, <laughs> absolutely agreed on that. Uh, one of the things that I, I wanted to even bring up here was uh, I, I posted that, like, we've had, you know, we have a total of four contributors to our repo, and when I shared it, uh, expand that a little bit, see if we can make it a little bigger. Um, Brian Douglas or B-Dougie on the internet who who runs Open Space, which is a site that is dedicated to helping people uh, contribute for the first time to projects, uh, you know, chimed in on it and said, you know, of all repos on GitHub, only 0.1% have five or more contributors. Uh, so, like, imagine the difference between, like, a lot of people out here doing it on their own, but also the amount, like Kojo mentioned, the amount of of what goes in and kind of like what you mentioned too, what goes into onboarding 
contributors. And I know for us, you know, I, I tell people like we, I, I tell people we cheated, but that's like the way to do it. Like you want to cheat in doing this, find issues that you know how to do that you can do that will only take a couple of minutes to do write down the steps on how to do it, put a good first issue tag onto it and then encourage people to contribute to it because that gives them the ability to start to become familiar with your code base. And it puts it on their, their radar of, Oh, this is, this is a project that is open to having people contribute to these types of projects. And they're willing to help you go through the steps of doing so. And then I think the other side of that is also having the, like a good, con- uh, you know, contributing document. Hey, this is how you contribute to the code. This is something that we worked on. Like, as as we're like writing it, there's like this issue mix up and all of a sudden you're like, oh, we need to add that as well. Like all of these documents need to be living and breathing as we, we go through all of these different things. Um, which, by the way, uh, our our amazing uh, our guest our our guest via chat of, of the week, Kojo, actually is speaking about this at DjangoCon Europe um, in contributing. Let me see if I can get that on the the right screen here. Uh, did didn't DjangoCon Europe just? Yeah, it no no it's happening later this month. Ah yes, um, here we go. Yeah, so improving contributor experience and broadening contributor scope. I, I, I love this idea uh, as a concept. Uh, and, and you might be wondering, like, okay, hey, we're a news show. Why are we talking about this? And, and ultimately, the, the reason we're doing this is because the reason we're doing the show is, like, we, we want to bring insights to people in the community. That includes people who are on the fence about becoming an open source contributor, uh, people who need help <laughs> contributing things to the show, you know, to not to the show, but to like to the Python community as a whole. Um, and John, you mentioned, you know, speaking more to the idea of events, like talk about some of the things that contributors to and like, I guess, contributors and organizers like have to do to onboard new organizers for conferences. Yeah, uh, so, you know, conferences, especially as they're growing, need a lot of people involved in order to, uh, to, to really continue to operate uh, and, and to, you know, improve year after year. And so uh, right, a lot of that, you know, if, if you're looking to get involved in, uh, in, in volunteering or organizing at a conference, um, a, a lot of that starts, starts with the little stuff, right? It's the... Uh, you know, stacking chairs. It's, um, you know, really, really common uh, kind of uh, intro to conference volunteering is uh, uh, tasks like um, uh, session sharing and, uh, and, and, and session running. So what this means is to right, be that person that's uh, holding up the, t- the, the, the time card that says, you know, five minutes left in your talk. Um, and you know, you, you sign up for your slot of a, of a few hours of sitting in a room and, and, and keeping speakers, you know, to their, their allotted schedules. Um, or, or, you know, if you're a session runner, you're, you're signing up to, uh, make sure that the, uh, the, the speakers get from the green room to, to their stage at the right time. Right. Um, and, um, you know, these are, these are the sorts of things that, uh, are, are, kind of funnels into um getting uh, you know even more involved in a, in a in a conference organization uh, if that's something that someone is interested in doing uh, and 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 a lot of that will happen kind of uh uh as a natural part part of of volunteering right like that right so if you 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 know show up and say i want to help with uh with session running uh and and you uh, you know, you show up on time and, and, you, and you do that work and you look interested, somebody's probably going to say to you, uh, great, uh, you know, if you're, if you're looking for, uh, you know, additional responsibilities or to, to get more involved in this thing, uh, you know, one, we have another, another slot we need to fill tomorrow because, uh, you know, we didn't get enough volunteers because we've never had enough volunteers. 
Um, uh, and, and two, uh, you know, this thing happens every year for the past 10, 15 years. And, uh, it takes, it takes a lot of people to, to continue that, uh, you know, that, that, that process, uh, throughout what is, you know, likely, a longer than a full year planning cycle. Um, and, and so, uh, you know, that, that's when a lot of the time you'll see, uh, kind of like a, a, a direct ask to, to get more involved in, uh, in, in organizing a conference. And that's, that'll be things like attending, you know, monthly meetings about, you know, uh, planning out the, the full thing leading up to, uh, to the actual event. Um, but you'll also see, you know, more, more behind the scenes stuff like, um, putting out those, those general calls for, for organizers or for, or for maintainers, like the ones, uh, like the one we covered, uh, earlier today. So, um, uh, you know, a, a big part of it is, uh, finding the people who are interested in, in actually doing it. And, uh, that a lot of the time comes down to right, a general call for volunteers saying, Hey, we need people to do these like one, two hour shifts to, uh, to help keep the conference running. Um, and then, uh, you know, documentation, there's never enough documentation. Uh, and, uh, and, and this, this all speaks to kind of a, a, a healthy, um, you know, a, a healthy and long living organization, right. Has the things in place in order to, uh, allow people to right move between responsibilities, onboard new people into, uh, into responsibilities, depending on their interests. Uh, and, and that's, that's where a lot of it, uh, really comes down to, right. Like you're going to get, um, a, a lot of the time with, with conference volunteers, you're going to get the, the most, uh, kind of uh, engagement from people doing what they are, are are really interested in. So if somebody's, uh, I've had people say to me, you know, I I really I want to run registration. I think it's a lot of fun. Um, and you know, other other folks would be very surprised at that uh, because you know you're you're checking in, you know, 500 people in a in a in a you know 30 to 60 minute time frame, um, and, and that that's that's hectic. Uh, but, uh, uh, I, I've absolutely been like, cool, you want to run that go for it. I'm here if you need me. Uh, and, uh, and I, I've seen people put into place, uh, you know, really efficient systems in order to keep that line moving, um, which is a hard thing for, uh, for, for a conference, right? Day one, everybody's getting there and excited. Yeah. And, and organizers are often like running around back and forth doing right. like as someone who's been like a sponsor or worked at like a sponsor booth, like organizers are working nonstop moving around. And like, yes, you forget to have someone just stand in the green room and make sure that the next speaker is a bit like, you know where they are like that. I, I have seen that happen so many times before. And, and that's what I was going to mention is like when there is a lack of people volunteering it's not only felt by the organizers because they're stressed out more, it's felt by the attendees as well because the conference feels disjointed in ways or, you know, little things will happen where like speakers will go over time and then all of a sudden now conference organizers are trying to like get people back on, on schedule and, and get things moving again where like, like you said, as simple as having someone that just starts a stopwatch and that when they have five minutes left, you're like, Five minutes left. You keep going, uh, and John. That's a lot of fun. Um, you know, I'm gonna throw this out there. Uh, you know, if you're listening to this and and you you're planning on attending a conference coming up, uh, you know, consider volunteering because uh, it's you know, if you're going to session chair, you get you get a, a front row seat to all of those all those talks that you were uh, you were looking forward to see, or if. Uh, you know, if if you want to really interact with uh, with a lot of attendees, um, you know, volunteering right at at uh, at a registration desk or, um, you know, a, a lot of the time a conference will have uh, like a swag bag stuffing event, right, where uh, where you got to get, you know, all of the all the different, uh, you know, trinkets and stuff into swag bags the day before the event so that uh, they can be handed out quickly. Um, 
it's it's a great way to get get more involved in in a community and to uh, and to really uh, kind of fill fill a role that uh, you know you may not be aware of is pretty critical to uh, the the whole thing operating smoothly. Um, so yeah, if you have a conference coming up that 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 you're attending uh, and and you want to uh, help the organizers out a bit, uh, definitely look at what volunteer options they have. And speaking of conferences coming up, I think it is that part of the time of the show where we we talk about some of the upcoming conferences uh, that are happening. And, and you might be wondering, like, we're not going to cover every single conference every week, but we're going to try to bring new conferences to your attention each week or ones that are coming up soon. And the first one that we have coming up is PyCon UK. PyCon UK is back in Cardiff. Uh, if you're in the UK and you can get out to Wales, by all means, go check it out. I, I know a few of the people speaking, and one of the talks I actually got to hear early, I'm like, I learned a lot and I'm really excited about it, but uh, it's good to have uh, a long-running conference, uh, PyCon UK, back in Cardiff on the 16th through the 18th of September. Uh, John, what about, uh, I, I promise I didn't, I didn't set you up with like PyCon Poland, but, uh, <laughs> I'll throw that one to you. Uh, yeah, PyCon Poland is coming up in, uh, a, a couple of months now, I guess, uh, I guess two months away. Yeah, uh, and they have a call for proposals that is, uh, active right now, I believe. Yes, yes, yes. This is the non-translated Polish version. There we go. <laughs> um, yes. Uh, they... yeah, so uh, so if you're interested in speaking at PyCon Poland, you have um, about a week at this point to uh, to, to get your uh, talk proposals in. Uh, you, you can find uh, all of the details at um, uh, pl.pycon.org. Uh, and, uh, uh, and, and yeah, I would highly recommend, uh, you know, getting, getting those... Uh, those talk proposals in sooner rather than later, uh, because I don't think I've ever seen a, a, a call for proposals end, and no one says, "Oh, I missed the I missed the due date. I can't believe that uh, I, I didn't realize uh, which which date it was." So yeah, um, and and we're getting th this was this was a, a narrow squeeze as the the CFP ends anywhere on the earth today, I believe. So if you have a talk and it's ready or you have a good, a good idea for one, you can reach out and they are uh, providing, they're not providing travel, I believe, but they are providing um, your stay hotel stay. Um, and then also to bring up one of my favorite conferences, uh, which is pajamas, a, a great conference that is designed to be virtual. Uh, it is virtual, uh, all virtual and very, very low key. Often speakers are in their pajamas uh, presenting and their CFP is also open. The conference is available uh, in November, but I wanted to bring this one up as well. And we have a board that you can use. Uh, we don't have a vanity URL for it, but I will do my best to make sure that there's one in the future. But you can actually see upcoming CFPs, if CFPs have closed, but the conference is coming soon. Uh, and we are working to even give this information back. And if you have a conference that you know about, we, we found out about Python or PyCon Portugal, uh, just as we were wrapping things up and didn't have time to add everything. So we'll probably bring it up again in the next episode. But if you have a topic that you want to contribute, you can do so again on the GitHub page. Just file an issue and there will be a button there. I can actually, I probably should have did the smart thing and just made it available for people to check out. Um, but I guess that would be too easy. Let's see. Yeah, you go to issues, new issue, and you have a button there. You can add a conference or you can add a news topic. If you have a topic that you want us to talk about, you can share that information with us and we go through this. The cutoff is... Uh, Sometime on Thursday in the U.S., we haven't quite figured out. Uh, we're very much like a conference CFP. If you're a little bit late, maybe we'll squeeze it in. Uh, we can figure it out. Uh, but, John, is there uh, any other news that we have for this week? Uh, I think that's all the news for this week. And if uh, if you're interested in hearing a, 
compressed version of this. Um, we'll, we're working on uh, getting out a, a version that is uh, just the just the news, just the facts about it, um, and it'll be uh, similar to the content that goes out in the newsletter, uh, but it'll be in pos- podcast form. So uh, if you know, highly encourage you to uh, come hang out with us for an hour on Fridays. Um, and, and we'll, we'll be doing these, uh, every week. But, uh, if, if you want that kind of, uh, very, very short form, uh, version of it, uh, stay tuned for, uh, a new, uh, 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 w- weekly brief version of, uh, of all the things I heard about today. Yep. And again, you can find that Python community news everywhere that, uh, uh, podcasts can be found. Uh, and if you can't find us on that one, let me know and we'll get it added. Uh, but I think that's going to wrap it up for this week. Uh, again, I've been Jay Miller. I've been John Bonifato. And this has been the Weekly Python Community News. <laughs>